always said the Black Panther Party that they can do anything they want to to us. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary. This is Andre Walden, the host of the R Wisconsin Revolution podcast, and joining me today to discuss the ongoing protests in Kenosha is Will Walter. Thank you for joining me today, Walt. Will, how you doing? I'm doing well, Andre. Uh, it's always nice to talk to you. Obviously, I wish it would be under better circumstances, but here we are. Yeah, um, obviously, we we would like to talk about things under better circumstances, but I think it's real important that we discuss this as it is an ongoing issue and. And a very important issue to Wisconsin. Um, so obviously we're talking about what happened to the 29-year-old man uh, from Kenosha, black male from Kenosha, uh, and, and father of three. And the whole situation that was surrounding it uh, kind of spiraled out of control from a viral video that we all seen on the internet. And it was um, Jacob Blake walking around to his car. Uh, being pulled by his shirt and being shot seven times in his back. Luckily, the man is still alive. But what I really want to talk about is I think what normally happens as a result of these situations is it immediately turns into a political situation where, hey, if you're on the right side, you have this view. And if you're on the left side, it's this view. But I think it's it's not necessarily a political situation, but it's a, a right versus wrong. OK, what what was right in this situation? What was wrong? And um, I think from my perspective, uh, what I seen that was uh, what was wrong is that, you know, even if there was some type of um, situation where he was resisting arrest, I still don't don't think that should uh, constitute the death of this man, uh, because then at that point, the police have the, the option to play judge, jury and executioner. And I don't believe that is a fair justice system. Um what what have you been hearing as far as um, the the political divides on Jacob Blake's shooting, and uh, what is your take on it? Well, the, that was a great point you mentioned about the judge, jury, and executioner. The American police force are not here to determine the fate of uh, you know criminals. In this situation, it wasn't even a criminal. So even somebody who is guilty of something, it is not the police's job to, uh, you know, enforce, well, I mean, enforce justice, I guess, kind of is, but their job is to maintain order and the courts will decide if somebody is innocent or guilty, right? When you're shooting someone in the back seven times, I mean, frankly, that's attempted murder. There was no reason whatsoever for that to have happened. You had officers everywhere to, to... hide behind self-defense like the American police force loved to do. When we saw the video, we saw what happened. It's, it's frankly laughable. And I see uh, the political aspect of it does seem to come up almost immediately, no matter what the situation is. Everything in America is politicized to the extreme. We're a nation of tribalistic individuals who seem to look beyond reason and simply you know, side with our team no matter what they have done or no matter what the situation is. I saw on a lot of, you know, conservative social media sites the one freeze frame picture of uh, Mr. Blake as he's walking towards his vehicle. And then, of course, they have, 
this very specific knife that they looked up online that apparently, you know, he must have been holding. Anybody with half a brain would realize that he obviously did not have a knife on his person at the time of the shooting, or the Kenosha Police Department would have blasted that to anyone that would listen. I mean, they would have tattooed that on their backs and gone marching down the street in their defense because they know that a large swath of the American population would find that justifiable then if he had a knife on his person. Um, to then come out and say, well, he had a knife in his car and try to hide behind that. Who doesn't have a knife in their car? Honestly, I think I would wager the vast majority of, of all Americans have some type of knife or sharp object like a knife in their vehicle because of the utility usages for it. To, to sit there and say, oh, well, it was in his vehicle, so we had to defend ourselves. Well, three young children were in his vehicle as well, and you still thought it was appropriate to shoot him in the back seven times. It's absolutely absurd. I don't, I, I can't condone anything that happened in this situation in any way, shape, or form because it was just, it was completely botched from the get-go. Then you, to hear Donald Trump today com compare it to missing a three-foot putt, it's, it seems like our priorities as American citizens have just become so distorted. It, I don't understand how we have gotten to this point where potentially half of the population genuinely believes property is more valuable than human life. It almost seems like we haven't made any progress in the last 100, 200, 300 years, and all of the, all of the advances in society are, are just kind of for show. So um, obviously Kenosha, Kenosha really needs time to heal, and I was so happy to see what was going on the past few days with uh, the Blake family and local organizers having community-centered events where people were able to get out, come together, uh, enjoy their, their fellow, um, their, enjoy their neighbors, spending time with them and just hanging out, seeing that Kenosha is not a war zone. I don't care what one clip you might have seen on the media that got blown out of proportion says. This is just a, a regular town, and it's filled with regular people who want to protect themselves and their neighbors. And it's, it's so sad to see... You know, Wisconsin in particular doesn't get a chance at the national spotlight too often. We we would have had an awesome opportunity with the convention this uh, this summer, and as my fellow delegates know, that you know didn't come to fruition. So to see Wisconsin in the news for something this negative is incredibly it's incredibly yeah, sad. Yeah, and I actually want to dive a little bit deeper into that because I think um, when you hit the situations. Uh, people don't really get the full perspectives. It's either you're seeing one side where there's nothing but violence and chaos and it paints one picture. And then on the other side, um, you, you see nothing but peaceful protests. And I think there, I mean, personally, I've been to these protests, so I, I seen both sides and I seen what happened. And yes, there are very peaceful protests and people who advocate for no destruction. They don't want to see any destruction because they, uh, positively and actually truly believe that uh, destruction and, and, and violence is actually counterproductive to the movement. But then you have those people who are disingenuous and are there for different reasons. And I think in order to have a an honest discussion, we have to be able to say, yes, we are here for peaceful protesting, but we also, also have to be honest in saying, hey, there are people who are dishonest in this situation and are not here for the right reasons. And I think where the discussion lies is that some people aren't willing to call that out. Um, and, and then that's when you get the pushback like, hey, everything is just chaos. 
But then on the other side, people aren't willing to acknowledge that there's a lot of peacefulness in these protests. When I've been to the protests, I mean, most of the destruction happens in a very small part of the section or the sector. But if you look on a right wing media site, you see nothing but burn down everywhere and it makes it seem like a war zone. But I think the way we break that down is instead of being uh, political actors in such a discussion, we have to be honest about the full situation. And I think that's what's lacking. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is always going to be disingenuous actors when you go to um, things with such high emotions because people are, are fed up. And um, I think Dr. Martin Luther King said, um, you know, rioting and looting or all these all these things is 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 the voice of the people. It's the exactly. language of the unheard. And I think um, that really plays very true into what we're, we're facing today because how many times have we had to stand up and say Black Lives Matter uh, because an unarmed black person was shot? Um, so I think if we don't call out everything, then at some point you will see a destruction of, of such magnitude. And I think that's what the right is missing because if they were facing constant oppression, which white people have, for example, in, in, in the earlier days, white people fat, uh, faced uh, class oppression. And guess what? They rose up. They did all type of um, uh, all type of um, diso uh, civil disobedience in the past, which led to uh, different movements such as workers movements. But I mean, how do you how do you take that in on on how the political discussion makes people blind to see the overall story and to see the nuance of every story like that? Well, the you know, the world is not black and white. It's it's not so obvious as take a video game, for example, that has the quote unquote good choice and the quote unquote bad choice. The world is not like that. It's pretty much everything is on a spectrum of some sort. So we kind of get we kind of get uh, pigeonholed into this mindset that your team is either the good team or the bad team. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. One team is either the good team or the bad team, and your team is always the good team, no matter what team you're on. Every human being is the you know is the star of their own story they're the superhero of of the story that their life is telling because that's the only experience they have is living with within their body so nobody wants to sit down and say you know look at what's going on around them logically and and come to the conclusion of you know oh are we the bad guys and so it kind of gets into this like i mentioned earlier american politics has become this this just tribal fight between right and left where your team is so much more important than the quality of your argument or the policies that you may or may not want put forth that it doesn't matter what these policies are if they help you if they hurt you you don't care as long as it's your side and i think we see that a lot with um the deep south in particular i feel like there's a lot of uh, conservative policies in particular down there that do not benefit the vast majority of the population. But it seems that, at least in the case of a lot of Trump supporters, they are willing to deal with things that hurt them as long as the 
right person is being hurt as well. So they, you know, they will take personal sacrifice and and they will deal with uh, policies that hurt their them and their livelihood as long as it's hurting the livelihood of those they deem bad even more, which for a lot of people is either on racial lines or more importantly political lines because you, you know you hear it all the time where uh, what's what's the phrase a, a conservative would eat a sandwich made out of feces if it may if a liberal had to then <laughs> smell his breath type deal where I know so many people who their entire political ideology is based on making the liberals yeah, cry <laughs> and it's right and it's it's so disgusting to think what we could have accomplished as a society if our goals were bettering ourselves rather than hurting our enemies. And, you know, it, I dream of the day. Hopefully it's in my lifetime. Um, who knows if, who knows if human life will still exist in my lifetime, but um, where, you know, the American voter can, can be proud of electing a candidate that they like more than the other candidate rather than voting for a candidate because they hate them less than the other candidate. You know what I'm saying? It, it's more important. I would rather have candidates that are two good candidates, and you have to decide which one you like more than rather than two bad candidates, and you have to decide which one you hate less. And that's kind of what the duopoly forces on us. And I think that that has contributed pretty significantly to the um, the current cold civil war we'll call it that that we seem to be in in america I think right that's now that's a really good description of it the cold civil war but i do want to further deep dig into what we're discussing now because some of the research that i did find is that even the kyle rittenhouse situation isn't as black as white as we would like to to think um, because when i was doing some research there were militia men who came up from out of state and to actually foment my, my position on this really fast, I personally don't think uh, the militiamen have, should have been there because I just feel like it, it escalates the situation a little bit more. I mean, people without authority with guns um, are not accountable to anyone, and I think it's a lot safer than, than having even just the police or the National Guard on, on at the, at the uh, scene. But going on from that, there was a guy named Ryan Balch there, and he was part of the militiamen. And there was a viral video that came out on Twitter and all the social medias. They were saying like, "Hey, the police, uh, the Kenosha police were saying, hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna push up and push the protesters your way, and we're gonna make them run into you because we know you guys can deal with it." And I think we had, need to have a real discussion of the situation, or actually the part the police the Kenosha police had in this and into the death of these two men who end up dying as as a result of, of Kyle Rittenhouse's murder but the reason why I really want to talk about this is because people think it's it's right versus left and that it's all simple but from the research that I did this guy Ryan Boss didn't seem like he had any problem with the Black Lives Matter he did genuinely uh, believe that he was there to protect property, and actually, if you watch a few videos, you can see him actually have an open dialogue with Black Lives Matter people and, and speaking, and he really got angry when he seen that the police were trying to force the protesters on him because he seen that the police were trying to create chaos, which he wasn't there for. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't know everyone's motivations um, who were there, 
But what I can say is we have to understand that I think the police have a vested interest in in creating chaos so they can paint a picture that they need more funding, that they need more assistance, that they need something out of this whole situation. It's a little bit opportunist. And I think what we have to understand is we're not necessarily the ones who should be fighting against each other. The real powers that be, the people with power, the people with the guns, and the people with government authority are the ones who are taking our rights away. They're killing people uh, without due process. And I think that needs to be the real discussion because too too many times it's like, oh, do you stand with the government? Do you stand with the the Black Lives Matter? Well, how about you just stand with the people? And I think that's the discussion that we're, we're missing too often. Um, yeah, I just want to get your thoughts on that because I think, um, yeah, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not advocating that that dude, that kid should have murdered anybody. But I, I do have to question if the Kenosha police has something to do with the, the clashes that went on there. Uh, it, I think it's pretty obvious that the Kenosha police wanted to have some form of plausible deniability. You know, they... If anything were to go wrong, well, we didn't do it. You know, we just shepherded them towards these, you know, these angry men with long guns hanging out in the streets that, you know, we didn't know what they were going to do. We just happened to push them towards them. It, it gives the it gives the police force kind of a way out. Obviously, they can't just start shooting innocent civilians. That, I mean, I shouldn't say that because it wouldn't surprise me in today's America to see the police just start massacring people i mean i mean it's it's we've already been seeing them using non-lethal rounds tear gas anything in the books that they can outside of of literally murdering people so uh it, it's this it's very disparaging to have seen some of these videos of of how they were kind of working hand in hand with with these uh, militiamen we've known for 10 years that a lot of the um kind of alt-right groups have been infiltrating the American police force, as well as uh, the FBI, the CIA, potentially. And we know that from a statistical standpoint, domestic terrorism happens, is basically only happening at the hands of, of uh, ultra-right-wing nationalists. Not 100%, obviously, there will be other examples, but a large majority of these domestic terror events tend to come from those type of people. What can we... I think the better question would be what can we do to prevent that going forward and how can we make these people understand that the working class is the real unifying factor that should be in play here. It should not matter the color of your skin. It should not matter your religion, your sexual identity. None of that should matter. What this has been from the get-go, as it has been through all of human history, is a battle of the haves versus the have-nots. The wealthy versus the rest of us. It has been, since the dawn of man, the waging war has always been class warfare. Now, it has been hidden in a lot of other ways because the wealthy have figured out some of these ways to distract the population from uniting amongst their common goals uh, and instead fighting each other on whatever the divided line may be, whether it's, you know, race or what I think right right now political ideology seems to be 
the bigger driving force, um, though there are still a, a significant number of racists, do not get me wrong. I, I think the majority of the, of the divisiveness comes between right versus left. Um, but it's, I, I think pretty much all of it is just for show. It's, it's a way to keep the peasants uh, infighting so that they don't look towards their common enemy realize that they have more in common with these, uh, you know, poor Republicans and poor Democrats from a lifestyle perspective have a lot more in common than the poor Democrat and the ultra-rich neoliberal politician or, you know, the wealthy Republican CEO and the very poor Republican living in, you know, maybe the, the trailer parks or something like the, the working class, the people, need to be able to unite to elicit any actual change. And as long as we are fighting over, frankly, non-important issues, not that I'm saying you know that race is not important by any means, um, but it's, I think a lot of the, uh, the kind of racial tension that we are seeing is, has been created on purpose to, to draw that narrative. They want it to be... They want it to look like it's, you know, a race war so that it's distracting us from what's really going on, which is the ultra-rich pillaging everybody's pockets, not just those that directly oppose them. And until the working class is able to come together over their shared goals, the, their shared dreams, their shared aspirations, until they can unite behind these ideals of, of you know, everybody wants to make their life better and everybody wants to improve the lives of their families – I think most people want to improve the life of all people. Uh, you know, not everyone, obviously. But um, if the – I want to believe that more Americans are good than are bad. And I think regardless of your political affiliation, most people would want what's best for everyone. They just have different ways of going about it. Yeah, I think sense. you're right there. And I think – because of the political ideologies that many of us follow, we we fight so hard about how is the best way to go about it that we're missing the forest for the tree, or the or however you say it. <laughs> but I think many times it's like, okay, for example, you might see right-wing people say, hey, we need smaller government. And then you'll have somebody like Black Lives Matter or whatever say, yeah, I agree with you. Let's defund the police. Well, I don't want small, smaller government in that case. And I think when we, we take a step back and actually see uh, who are the oppressors, for example, we have a lot more in common than we would like to think because it's not some liberal from Milwaukee who's working as a teacher that's trying to take your guns. Or it's not some uh, Republican from from Washington County who's gonna who's gonna take your Social Security away, and I mean possibly they might want to. I'm not denying that, but I think if we're gonna aim our frustrations at anybody, it should be those in power. Um, and I think that's that's how we've gotten to a place like this because, um, for example, that the the kid Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, you know, if you look on his Facebook page and, and you look on his social media, he was a Blue Lives Matter person. Um, he, he was a Trump supporter. And I think because he's been so indoctrinated into that belief that everything that may happen 
whether right or wrong when it, when it comes to the police, he would automatically shift to the police side because that's what he's in, indoctrinated in. He probably, and he was only 17. He didn't really get a chance to actually form his own thoughts at this point. I mean, I know when I was 17, I was completely politically dumb. So, I mean, I just kind of fell where the winds took me. Mm-hmm. So I think that is what is most dangerous about it is when we are indoctrinating uh, people at such a young age, especially when it becomes to violence and, and guns. And I think that is extremely dangerous, as we can see today, as it led to the death of two people. Um, but, I mean, you see people uh, who are indoctrinated in these, these, these circles who are advocating for running over protesters, uh, advocating for shooting people. And I don't know how they would believe that that would actually stop the violence at, at any manner. If anything, it would bring more people out. But I think where I'm trying to get at with this is that we have to be careful about how we radicalize people and who we radicalize people to, because if you're radicalizing people to regular protesters, of course, you're going to have a result in in which you might may see somebody being shot and, this happened in in, um, in Portland as well because you know I have I have my political agenda as well, but I would never take it out on an ordinary Trump supporter. If anything, I'm gonna take it out on the Trump administration, not with actual violence, but with action. And I think that's where people are are missing um, missing a lot of the the nuance in the discussions. Um, but yeah, I, I just I just really think the anger is misplaced in many of these circles, and I think that's where we have to get away from. Now, Americans have become so comfortable in our way of living. You know, we we're you if you want to elicit real change, you know, you got to get out on the streets. You got to actually make your voices heard. You got to be boycotting some of these uh, products. Something like a general strike, for example, would bring the system to its knees. We could elicit real change by the end of the week if we could get enough people to participate in that. The issue is the way the system is created, you cannot do you can't afford to strike because, you know, if, if you'll get instantaneously fired. Now that you're fired you have no insurance. Now that you have no insurance, as soon as the first time you get sick, you're gonna go bankrupt. Or, you know, you get fired, you can't afford the roof over your head, you have no other options and now you're homeless. So people are kind of kind of forced into this daily lifestyle where you get up, you go to work, you do the work, you come home, you go to sleep. Even if they're unhappy about it, you have no other options because any other option that you could take would get you fired and you would now lose this livelihood that you may have worked so hard to obtain in the first place, which is why then you'll see a lot of people saying, well, you just need to vote. Yes, voting is incredibly important and does have a massive impact on um and policy both at a local and national level, but it's not as as simplistic as saying, well, just go vote. Remember that the powers that be understand that voting could theoretically uh, bring about real change, so they will do whatever they can to prevent that, which is why you see in a lot of of poor communities, a lot of uh, communities of color, a lot of college campuses, whenever there's, um, you know, primaries or an election going on, that would necessitate large numbers of people getting out to vote from these areas. Those are always the polling stations that you see closed, or you see that six to eight to ten hour lines. You know, you the a lot of people want to sit around and say, "Oh, well, the young people don't vote. They need to get out and vote." 
Have you seen voting at some of these college campuses? If you have class all day and then you have to work at, you know, McDonald's at night to pay for your education, how are you expected to go stand in line for six hours to vote? That, that's just not possible. You can't do that. Or like the April 7th primary in Milwaukee, how pretty much every polling station got closed, so 500,000 Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukeeans had to go vote at the same location. That's voter suppression. The, the elites know that voting could change the system, but they also know that if you suppress the right votes, you can turn out exactly who you want and who you need to be voting. For example, in my upper-middle-class white suburban neighborhood, I have never taken longer than 15 minutes to vote. I get in, I get my ballot, I get out. It is incredibly easy. This is done on purpose because they know that the people who live in these communities are generally pretty well off. They benefit from the status quo. They don't want serious structural change because that would hurt their lifestyle. They would much rather just kind of ignore all the problems that are going on and keep trudging on. Maybe, they, maybe they're not even ignoring the problems. Maybe they genuinely aren't aware of, of the issues that are facing a lot of their fellow Americans because they only watch Fox News, for example. So they seem to think that every left-leaning person is just somebody in the city on food stamps that doesn't want to work or doesn't have a job, they don't, they don't even care to understand that the single mother that has to work two or three minimum wage jobs just so that her kids can have shoes when they go to school, that doesn't matter to them because they don't really think those people exist. They, they genuinely think that, well, they should just pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get a better job and make more money. Well, how do you want me to do that? Well, go get an education. Okay, you, do you have $50,000 laying around? Well, I do, but you should too. It, like, It's just such an absurd mindset, and it kind of fosters this, this long-standing American belief that everything that you have or everything that you do was earned no matter what. Somebody who has, was literally born with a spoon shoved up there, you know, you know where, and... Um, and they're sliding into home plate the day they were born, and they still have the audacity to, to tell someone else, hey, you know, you just need to work hard, and good things will happen to you. You know, you, you didn't work hard. You had a billion dollars handed to you, but then they might think that the reason they had a billion dollars handed to them was because, you know, they're genetically superior or they, whatever it might be, they, they seem to look at inheritance as having worked hard and then tell other people to go do the same, and it's the the disparate the the absolute what's the word I'm looking for the absolute um disconnect I guess between their situation and the situation that somebody else might be going through I think it kind of leads to to mass division like we see in America today yeah exactly and I think you can use that same logic with you know the the police discussion that we're using because just like people say hey why don't you just go get a job or or why don't you just go get an education? Those same people who are saying, well, why didn't you just follow orders? Well, what what in the Constitution says I have to be respectful to a police officer? What in the law says I have to be respectful to a police officer if I'm not being accused of a crime? And even if even if that is the truth, right? Say I am disrespectful. Say I am not following orders. Say I don't want to be detained. Does that mean I have I should be shot and killed? And I think that's the discussion that a lot of people don't want to have because to them it institutes well if you just listen you want to die. 
okay, there are people who don't listen to police all the time. Should they, should we just have mass shootings of people around the country? No, they wouldn't advocate for that. It's, it's silly. And I think that, that again goes back to the discussion we were happening or we were talking about earlier about things being black or white. It's just not black or white. If things were that easy and just listening to a cop and doing everything he says was so easy and everything would just be fine. I'm pretty sure we would have a lot more people, you know, not not dying from police brutality because there are many uh, cases where people have listened to police officers and they were still shot. So it's not that simple. But. Yep. Philando Castile is a great example. Exactly. Or Shiver. It's, he did the right thing it, and he was still shot. You, cops are still human beings and human beings are far far from perfect. Uh, that's not even going into the fact that I think a lot of a lot of people want to be cops because it's kind of a power trip. You know, maybe these people didn't really, they don't really have a lot going for them otherwise, and they just, they need to feel superior to others, so they get into policing knowing that they are then kind of above the law with no repercussions. I'm not saying all. I'm not saying all, but the, I, I guarantee there's a large uh, number of cops who do this. The, the irony of this whole situation that we're discussing right now is the same people who will sit around and say, well, if you just listened to the cop, that would have never happened. So, you know, you have to listen to somebody who had, what, you know, 12 weeks of, of training and then was handed a gun. You have to do what they say or you'll get killed. But listening to an elected official who tells you to wear a mask for the safety of everybody else in your community, that's infringing on your freedom, right? Uh, so we don't have to listen to somebody who was who was actually elected to lead by the people of the state because, well, that's that's infringing on my rights. I'm not going to listen to them. But some random Joe who decided they wanted to be a police officer and went and sp spent a couple weeks at the academy and was handed a gun, you have to listen to them, even though they weren't elected by anybody, they weren't chosen by anybody in the community. It's It's laughably ironic that these people can have the same mindset but so totally different depending on the situation, if it benefits them or doesn't. It, it seems that a lot of people in particular have this mindset of uh, rules for thee, not for me, you know. And that, uh, I forgot who, who said it, but there's a, there's a famous quote I think back to frequently where uh, they said conservatism is basically a set of in-laws or a set of laws that um, protects one group but does not bind them and then binds but does not protect the other group, referring to the elites, you know, the, anybody with money, really, where he, these laws protect them from anything happening, but they don't have to kind of follow by these rules because they have money, they can get away with it, versus the out group, which is binded by these laws and has to, you know, follow these laws or they will be punished, but they're not protected by these laws, which is why they can still be gunned down by police on the street with no repercussion. Yep, that's very true. And I think, um, you know, the more we have conversations like this and try to actually have dialogue and think about the nuance of most of these situations, we'll have a better society rather than just falling on political ideology. But we definitely got to do this some more in the future and have more discussions about uh, future news, news um, and ongoing stuff in the news, I guess. <laughs> but um, thanks, everybody. We certainly will. It's always great to talk with you, Andre. Uh, we'll definitely have more of these in the future. So we say we 
always said in Black Panther Party that they can do anything they want to to us. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips that I am a revolutionary.